Good morning. I want to thank Pastor Jonas for this. Um, we didn't quite reach the 50, but uh, yeah, I was willing to put that on. And it's what's really interesting to me is this morning, we're talking about humility and relationships. I think if you're a Vikings fan or a Bears fan, we both understand humility. And one of us will understand more this afternoon. If you have a Bible, James chapter four, verses six through 10, James four. Living in humility with God and others. Uh, We're continuing our time in this series called Discipled. If you need a Bible, we've got some mushers coming down the aisles, slip a hand up, they would love to get one in your hands you can use this morning. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. And, and um, thank you, Pastor Jonas, for the update yesterday. And I, I feel like we did just that, that we are striving to carry out our mission, our vision here at Bethel Church. In fact, this, uh, this very series uh, was born out of applying our mission by emphasizing what it means to look like a follower of Jesus. And, and the 10 categories that we've been looking at and will continue to look at are more than just a religious checklist. Like, yeah, I'm working on that, got that one down. Um, I do better in this area. But rather they're characteristics that are nurtured in us of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We've talked about having a dependence on God through prayer and the word. We talked about regularly worshiping together. We talked about displaying the fruit of the spirit and obedience to Christ in every area of our life. And then last week, uh, building relational community. Today's topic is living in humility with God and others. And it points us to another indicator of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a believer or, or a Christian. Um, I'll just tell you up front that this idea of living in humility in relationship with others and with God, I think, um, especially when we talk about with others, that this can be applied in any relationship that you have, whether you're, whether you're married or in the context of family or um, friends or work or wherever it might be. I think the, the Word of God is going to teach us some powerful things. So first, if you're following along, check your attitude, and I want to look at verse 1 the first part, and then um, the first part of verse one, and we're gonna skip down to verses 11 and 12, because they kind of go together. And it starts off with a great question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And then we go down to verse 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against another brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And so right away for me, what comes to mind is this. Um, As I start thinking about relationships is that our passions and our preferences, when they're not kept in check, can become like opposing soldiers in a battle. While not all passion and preferences in relationship are birthed out of pride, uh, many are. And so we have to be aware. And the first part of verse one begins with the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And so I think that that's a great question to start with. Keep in mind, he's writing to Christians here in this passage. So he's asking people who, who profess to be followers of Jesus, followers of Christ, why do you keep fighting? 
Why is it so hard to live in a relationship with others in humility? Why is it so hard? Pride convinces us that we're living in humility with others. As believers, we are instructed in numerous places in scripture to love and to live in unity, harmony, and at peace with one another. It's not uncommon to see bickering in, in various relationships, even in the Bible. And that is one of the one things I really appreciate about the word of God. While we're instructed to strive to be better and to grow in certain areas, the Bible does not falsely present to us these perfect people who have it all together, who have it all figured out. The very things we are instructed to be aware of and work on, we also get to read examples of people who struggled and failed in those areas. Luke 9, 46 says, as an example, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Even the disciples of Jesus, they argued and they, and they bickered over who was the greatest. I don't think that they were exercising humility. Some of the letters that we read in the New Testament are letters written to churches uh, addressing all different things that a particular church uh, was dealing with at a particular time and, and different disagreements. In Corinthians, we read about people who were competing with one another in the public. And we read in Ephesians, Paul continued challenge towards unity. In Philippians 4, we read about two women who, who could not get along with one another. But listen to this in Galatians 5, 15, it says this, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. How does that happen? It happens when the doorway to our mind and our heart is open for business. And the doorway to our mouth as we engage with others is open for business. I've personally witnessed church fights over who should have the keys to the cabinets in the kitchen. What kind of bread is biblical to be used for communion? How good the coffee needs to be? What brand should we be using? Verse 11 and 12 again, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? These Christians were speaking slander and evil and passing judgment on one another. And you could think of it in the context of the church, but keep in mind that the church isn't just within these four walls. We are the church, so think about it in the context of any relationship that you are in. My friends, we are to speak the truth in love and learn how to live in authentic relationships. And authentic relationships do not judge, they do not slander. Authentic relationships are made up of people who speak truth and love, who discern but leave the judging up to God, who refrain from criticism of one another. So what causes most of the divisions and, and factions and relationships for believers? Lack of truth, unhealthy and unbiblical ways of dealing with conflict and offense. A commitment to healthy relationships requires a lot of work. It requires us to stay on the front lines, working tirelessly, 
to have a God-honoring relationship. What are these two verses saying? To speak against another believer is to speak against the law or breaking the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself is the royal law. That's what it's saying, rules. It rules over all other laws. It is the second part of the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So back to what James is saying, to speak against another person or, or to judge another believer is to break that royal law. So to judge another believer is to rebuke the law of love, the royal law that, that supersedes all of the other laws. So to break this one command puts us in a place of judgment, not only of the person, but of the very law that God gave us to live by. We cannot judge a person without judging the very law that God gave us. Simply said, we need to put down the magnifying glass and pick up a mirror. Are we spending more time inspecting all the flaws and the shortcomings of others that we are failing to see our own? Owning our own part is a good start. Seeing our own weaknesses invites humility. Just seeing others invites pride. Is it possible that we allow our wants and our preferences to inflate our expectations of others to such an unhealthy level that we find ourselves constantly disappointed with other people? Often we cross the bridge of judgment without having all the details and the evidence and, and the motives. And unhealthy expectations of others leads to judgment. And when you judge others, you judge the royal law that God has given us by no longer living by it. I think Jesus might have been on to something here in John 17. If you're not familiar with that passage, Jesus prays in John 17. Listen to a part of his prayer. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So again, don't only think of this in the context of coming to church on a Sunday morning. Think of this in the context of relationships in general because we're being watched. The world is watching believers, followers of Christ who are instructed to love one another, but instead we, we criticize one another, we judge one another, we throw stones at one another, we compete with one another. It must be confusing, I would imagine, at times for a watching world. Followers of Christ have an opportunity to show the world that there is a better way. That people can demonstrate respect and show genuine love. That all people matter. We have a chance through the way that we treat each other and the way that we work together to point a watching world to Jesus. And as we continue to ponder how we relate to one another and what, what impact that, that pride plays in relationships, I wanna take just a couple of minutes and, and we're gonna do something and just, just some personal reflection time. And I'm gonna have up here on the screen um, relational reflection and it's the characteristics, it's called the characteristics of proud versus humble people by Nancy DeMoss. 
and there's gonna be two slides, but I'm just gonna, we're gonna put it up here in a second. I'm just gonna be quiet. I just want you to ponder, read, read the comparisons, humble people, proud people, and then think about the relationships you're in and allow the Holy Spirit to work. I have been familiar with that list for a long time, and I've read that, mess, that list so many times, going back and forth from one side to the other. And ashamed to say that I still have too many check marks on the, on the pride side. Why do we who profess Jesus as Savior find ourselves at times at war with others who profess the same Jesus, who are indwelled with the same Holy Spirit, who will spend eternity in the same heaven worshiping the same God? We're about to find out. Second part of verse one through three, secondly, check your heart. It says this, don't they come from your own desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So we began in verse one with a question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And the answer is found in the second part of verse one. Don't they come from your own evil desires that battle within you? It's an interesting thing. The word desires comes from the Greek word hedone, which probably sounds familiar because it's where we get the word hedonism. Hedonism is a school of thought that, that argues that pleasure is the only intrinsic good. In very simple terms, a hedonist strives to maximize pleasure over pain. That's what hedonism is. It's the idea that people have the right to do everything in their power to achieve, to achieve the greatest amount of pleasure possible to them. And what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from your own constant pursuit of the greatest amount of pleasure that you can achieve? The hedonistic war in our heart causes the battle in the flesh. We want pleasure in our hearts. And when we don't, when we don't have it or we don't get it, what happens is the boxing gloves come out. Because we're lacking something that we want. If hedonism is winning the battle in your heart, your life will display quarrels and fights and pride. If God is winning the battle for pleasure in your heart, your life will display peace and contentment and humility. At the core of all sin, um, and we've talked about this uh, recently, is pride and selfishness. We see that from every, from the very beginning with Eve when she disobeyed and ate of the tree because she wanted to be wise like God, the selfish intent. And when I say we are selfish at the core, none of us are gonna fall out of our seat, right? But verse two says this, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So we have this incredible wrestling happening within our heart and we want pleasure in our heart and when we don't have pleasure in our heart, the boxing gloves come out and we fight. Because we're not settled, we're not satisfied, we're not content. 
The word kill is figurative and is hyperbole for the word hate. You desire but do not have, so you hate. So the second uh, verse is just reinforcing what the second part of verse one was saying. In your heart you desire pleasure and when you can't find it you hate. But the lack of pleasure doesn't stop there. You not only hate but you covet, it says. And when you covet and still don't get what you want, you quarrel and you fight. So maybe you have never considered that the culprit behind your quarreling and your fighting and this, this constant wrestling is the lack of pleasure in your heart and your heart is not content, and your heart is not satisfied, it causes this tremendous war within, of which we're often too busy fighting the battle on the outside, responding to the emptiness on the inside, to identify the source of the war, which is our heart. A lack, a heart that lacks pleasure is a dangerous heart and can lead to all kinds of problems. So, so far we've learned that we find ourselves at war with others because we are first at war within ourselves. And we're at war within ourselves because our heart longs to find pleasure and rather than turning to God for pleasure, we turn to our own selfish desires and then we can't be satisfied, but there's more. Verse four through 10, this idea of checking your posture. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So in verse four, it continues on, it continues this pattern. The root cause of every war, whether with others or within self. So we're going, we're gonna peel uh, another layer off. It's gonna go even deeper. So we're fighting out here because this is empty in here and we're gonna go even deeper. The root cause of every war, whether with others or self, is rebellion against God. That's the source. Like if you dug all the way down, that's the source. Man wants to live according to his sin nature in hopes of discovering pleasure for his empty heart and God wants to make atonement for our sin so man can find complete pleasure in him alone. And because God did not create us to live in conflict with him, but rather he created us to live in harmony and fellowship with him, he sent his only son to die on the cross as a way for us to be forgiven of our sin so we could experience the very thing that we will experience for all eternity, harmony and fellowship with God. If you wanna be in conflict with someone, just become friends with their enemy. And the world is the enemy of God. You want to know how you can also be an enemy of God, be a friend of the world. It says anyone who wants to be friends with with the evil ways of the world is an enemy of God. So we're out here fighting. We look inside. There's this war going on because we don't have pleasure in our heart. And then we dig even deeper and we realize that the source is actually rebellion against God. And so we go out and we're friends with the world. That's where it all starts. A true follower of Christ is in a relationship with Jesus. We cheat on Jesus when we hang out with the world. To make sense of all, I need to have you follow the trail with me for just a moment. We're at war with God because of our rebellion. Our rebellion against God leads to pleasure-seeking hedonism. 
do whatever we can to have pleasure in our heart. Our pleasure-seeking hedonism leads to war in our own heart because we can never find complete pleasure outside of God. And the war inside of our heart leads to war in the flesh with others. So war with God, war within, war with others. But there's hope. There's always hope. Verse seven through 10, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So the word submit in verse seven is a military term and it means to get your proper rank. When a private acts like a general, there's a pretty good chance that there's gonna be problems. Anytime there are areas of our life that are kept from God, we're living out of rank. Resist the devil. The war we need to be fighting is against the evil one and his influence in our lives, not to be at war with God. We're at war with God when we allow the evil one to gain a foothold or stronghold in our lives because those who become, those become the areas of our life that are unsubmitted and under his authority. And those areas then are out of rank. And the way that we resist is to submit. We can either resist God and his desire to heal us or we can resist the evil one and his desire to shred us. I think one of the most dangerous situations is when we give the appearance of doing all of the right things. Presenting ourselves in relationships as though we're humble. and yet we carry around with us boxing gloves. It's easy to stop trying and working hard relationally because you don't wanna get punched again. Healthy relationships where there is love and kindness and gentleness are extremely hard. After all, Jesus died for such a relationship. God is inviting some of you here today to look to him for the very first time. Because of his love for you, he's offering to you salvation. Maybe some of what the scripture has taught us this morning is resonating with you. He's offering the forgiveness of sin through grace. He's inviting you to stop fighting and to surrender your life to him. Do you wanna do that today? If that is you, would you please, please, Come find one of us pastors that are in the room or one of the elders. We would love to share the good news of the gospel with you.
For those of us who already are followers of Christ, he's inviting us to take a deeper look at our relationships with him and with others. I want to leave you with one thing, and it's Micah 6.8. Maybe you're familiar with this verse. It says this, Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Lord, I pray that um, as we have looked at your word this morning, uh, Holy Spirit, I trust that you have been working in our hearts and that you have been awakening us to the truth that you have for us and the truth that shapes us and changes us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you have been convicting us because we live so much of our life out here in front of us with the gloves on that we um, sometimes don't take enough time to just calm and just to rest and just to stop and to ponder what is happening in our heart. And the reality is, is that we're fighting for pleasure. We want our heart to be satisfied. But sometimes we're looking in all the wrong places. We look to the world and we think that, oh, if my heart could just be satisfied, then my relationships with others and with you, God, would be great. But it never works. You are the only one who can bring that satisfaction. God, I pray that you would remind us and convict us of anything and in any way that we are living with the world, that we're partnering with the world, and that we're proving ourselves in that sense to be an enemy of yours. God, would you reveal those areas? Would we rightfully confess those and repent of those areas in our life and renew our relationship with you? And that we'd re rework the equation backwards, starting with you. Would you bring healing, Lord, in Jesus' name?